you ready for farm freedom? It's not just, you know, muddy pigs and roosters crowing and walking around in boots all the time. You know, it's a lot more than that. You can make money from this lifestyle, more so than just selling extra eggs at a roadside stand. Welcome to another episode of Farm Freedom. Today we wanted to kind of round out, I guess, the big picture that the last two episodes have been building on, um, this homesteading 101, as we're calling it. Obviously we're not teaching you how to homestead in three podcast episodes because that would be magical but unreasonable, but we wanted to just get everybody on the same page, um... You know, the first episode, we talked about convenience, community, possibly feeling isolated, that sort of thing. Um, Kind of getting through those hurdles, maybe. Second episode, we talked more about um, looking at your land, whether you're buying, whether you're figuring out how to use the land you have, making a plan, having a plan, picking land that fits your plan, and also building a plan that fits what land you have. Um, kind of working with your assets, I guess. And so for this one, we wanted to talk about... I guess you'd call it the idea of surviving versus thriving. Um, that this is, this is what I'll call more of a mindset sort of episode. You're obviously here because you're interested in these interviews we have coming. Next episode will be our first interview. Um, But you're obviously interested in this idea of homemade money, making money off of your homestead, where you perhaps have not been making many money off of your homestead. And I think for a lot of people, there's a bit of a wall between I homestead and I farm. And I've seen that a lot on Instagram, for example, because that's the community that we're the most active in. Um, But what's interesting is that in that community, you see a lot of people on that platform who call themselves homesteaders. And that's because that's what they're doing. They're raising this for their family. They're sharing it through social media of what they're growing, what they're raising, what they canned and put in their pantry last week. And it's very much a, I would call it a presentation of self-sufficiency for their family. So the homesteaders there, though, they're not wrong. They call themselves homesteaders. Something I found really interesting, though, is that anybody who meets us, you know, in person in our town, for example, and they hear about where we live and what we do, even before we started getting to the sales point, right? When we just had chickens that, you know, we always wanted to sell with them, but we weren't selling at the time. Anybody who comes across us and what we do and, oh, you raise and all this kind of stuff, in person, they don't call us homesteaders. They've called us farmers since the day we bought this land. And I find that to be very interesting that there's some some mixed perceptions maybe between homesteading and farming. But the most interesting is that we moved on to this property and I did not feel like I was qualified to call myself a farmer. Even though we moved here, the first intention was homesteading, very, very quickly it became apparent to us that our town 
our quote unquote neighbors were basically asking us without asking us to start selling farm fresh foods for them, like pasture raised meats and eggs and whatever else, you know, we can, we can make work out of that because, oh, we got our first chickens. Oh, hey, I found you guys on, on Facebook or Instagram or whatever. I saw you guys got chickens. Are you going to be selling the eggs? I can't tell you how we had chickens that were two month old chicks and people are asking me already if we're going to start selling the eggs for them. And I'm going, I've got 11 chicks. Uh, no, not right now. But like I said, very early on, we started shifting to that mindset of, okay, maybe we're not going to just homestead. Maybe we're going to sell a little bit of stuff here and there because why not make a few bucks? It's been a year that we've been here. We are very heavily shifted into this idea that we are going to turn this land not just into a homestead. If that's all it ever turns into, great. But our bigger goal is to turn it into a farm and have this become a pretty good portion, if not most all of our income. And that's kind of that's kind of our big picture vision for our family is that some point, hopefully in the somewhat near future, in the next few years, somebody says to me, what's your, you know, what do you do? What do you do for work? And our answer is going to be, we're farmers. We work from home. We farm. There's something about that that sounds great to us. And that, I think, is a, a the best example I could give you of this mindset shift from really that surviving to thriving Right? And so we want to get into that a little bit more. So here's the best way for me, for me to ask you this. Anybody who's listening, who's out there, who's homesteading. Does your homestead's continued existence rely on the paycheck from your 9 to 5 job? And by that, I mean, can you feed your chickens if you quit your job tomorrow? Not, oh, I'm going to pull from my, you know, retirement account early or I have a bunch of money in savings and I'm just going to live off that for a while and then I'll get a new job. I mean, look at COVID. Look at what the last couple of years have been. Look how many people have had very unexpected job losses and life changes in the last couple of years. Can you afford to feed your chickens if you woke up tomorrow and, and lost your paycheck? And I think a fair number of people would probably say, you know what? Actually, I can't. I would say currently at the point we're at, we need my income to continue our farm. Right. Hopefully, And that bugs us. Hopefully come spring, we'll be at a turning point where we will have enough income coming in to at very least cover our costs. Right. And that's... That's, we'll admit that we're working on that, that we're not at the point where we can, you know, cover our costs without his paycheck. Because if you haven't figured it out by now, I stay home with the kids, stay at home mom by trade for the last six years. Um, But this is what we're working towards is that that's the idea that in our opinion, if you're going to live this life, right, If you're going to homestead or farm or whatever it is that you want to call it, if you work at just, just like philosophical question for you, if you work a nine to five job and it is only because of that nine to five job 
that you can afford to feed your chickens? Are you truly living a self-sufficient homesteading life? Or are you still relying on your job? I know we're going to be relying on it for a long time because the farm for a while is not going to be able to cover our mortgage and a lot of other bills. Right. And there's a lot of those specific nuances that, you know, your situation and your finances probably look different than ours do. And they look different than, you know, the next farm down the road. And that's fine. It's going to be different for everybody. But it's just this concept of most people that I know, you know, average middle class folks in America work their job. Yeah, maybe they like their job. You know, teachers enjoy teaching. But if you went up to them and you said, I'm a bazillionaire and I would like to pay you exactly your monthly salary to do something different with your day. Not, you know, binge watch Netflix, but pick a, I'm going to call it loosely quote unquote productive activity and I'm going to pay you the same salary you're getting paid now to do that instead. I think a lot of people would say, you know, yeah, I like being, for example, a teacher, but I'd much rather be a blank. You know, obviously educational limits aside of you're not just going to go be a doctor tomorrow, you know, but if you could stop being a school teacher and, I don't know, host private art classes for adults, would you do that instead? If you could be a chef, right? Would you, would you quit your job working at a retail store? So that you could maybe get paid to go learn how to, well, maybe even don't get paid. I don't know. But would you quit your job at a, at a retail job so that you could go be a chef? You know, would you leave your job in a customer service center to go be a professional ballerina? I don't know. Pick whatever you want. You know, I know people who, you know, friends of ours that... They said, oh man, if I could leave my job, I'd love to, I'd love to get into woodworking. I'd love to make handmade furniture and sell it, right? Who does that? Who does that anymore? That somebody who can do that is someone who is thriving because they are leaning into their passions and they are doing what they love and getting paid for it. I think every homesteader I've ever met, every farmer I've ever met, shares that same sort of passion for what they do. It is a unique group of people in that standpoint, in that respect. That's kind of what I mean, again, on surviving versus thriving. Are you surviving and relying on your job? Or are you taking steps to not just survive, but to get ahead? Right? I mean, even from a simpler perspective, it's always a good idea to to diversify your income. And, you know, on farms, there is a lot of opportunity to do that. You have to be able to look at every option and how it can make you money and what it can do for you. Because not everything on a farm is going to make you money easily. And some things definitely will do better for you than others. 
But take a step back from that. Having your homestead start generating an income, thereby turning it into a farm, technically. Go ahead and keep working your 9-to-5 job if you love it. Congratulations, your farm makes money. You've now diversified your income. What a great feeling to not be completely reliant on both of them. That's exactly the reason why most households are two-income households these days. Because we don't have the same job security and pensions and all that kind of stuff that our parents and grandparents had. And so in today's society, it is all pretty unwise to not diversify your income. To not have multiple streams of income coming into your house. And I don't mean I work my job and I have my 401k in the background. It means that today you have a job. Today you have investments. Today you have a second job. Right? You do Instacart on the side. You know, go read any personal finance site and it will tell you that you need to diversify your income. The best way to get ahead is to diversify your income. So have your farm be a second stream of income, right? For us especially, look at that. That, like we said, we're a one-income household. We rely on Eric's job as our primary income. And now we're building the farm to be a secondary income. Someday, hopefully, yes, that'll replace what we have from him. And then we technically go back to one income. But in a way, like he said, all the different things we would be doing on the farm almost act as their own individual micro revenue streams. So if all of my flock gets taken out by a predator, my chicken flock gets taken out by a predator, I still might have, I don't know, let's say we also have beef cattle at that point, right? My farm, yes, takes a hit, but it's not totally dependent on chickens to make money. I'm not totally dependent on just pigs to make money. I'm not totally dependent on just a CSA, and I hope there's not a, you know, locust plague this year, because then I won't make any money, you know? And that's, that's diversify on the big picture, and diversify on the zoomed in picture. So one of the other things that has really pushed us to want this farm income, um and replace Eric's income with it is that we want to be able to both work from home together. And that is because we very deeply believe that, you know, you get married, you have kids, you build this family to be together. Why do we as a society generally spend more than half of our waking hours apart from our family? I mean, Eric knows that better than I do because I'm home with the kids all day. It kind of gives you the idea of taking back your life, controlling your life, and being able to spend that time with your family and kind of do what you want and build those relationships stronger. Right. You spend half of your waking hours apart. I mean, we only have our kids for, what, 20 years, basically? average before they grow up and they move out plus or minus whatever condense it all into one would you be willing to let your kids go at 10 years old well and as they get older they get into more sports more time with friends and start to move away from you as they get 
even to 10 years old, like you're saying. It's like compound interest, but worse. And as everybody knows, when you once you have kids, every day just flies by. Yeah, right now I'm gone every day, and I get to spend pretty much two hours a day with the kids. Yeah, assuming you're not home late. Hour, hour or two? Yeah, and it's, it's not much Maybe time. Maybe three if we put them to bed late? And it seems like every week of my life goes faster and faster than the last <laughs> one. And the kids are growing like complete weeds. So before we know right. it, they're going to be, as everybody says, off and married. And yeah. we're not going to know what happened. Basically. Right. And so that's, that's really a huge um, motivator for why it is so important to us to get this farm, this truly work-from-home situation built for ourselves so that we can have that and so that we can stop missing out on time. I don't want to get to the point where, you know, our kids are 15 years old and we can't remember what they could do at 6 versus what they could do at 7. You know, I always want to be able to really see that gradual change. I don't want to wake up one day and go, wow, when, when did this happen? When did you grow up? When did you learn X, Y, Z? You know, I mean, right now, our our youngest, our daughter, she's insistent that she wants to learn how to read. So we're working on it during our, uh, you know, for her, quote unquote, school. She's not in school yet. My son's homeschooled, um, but her daughter, not so much. And so she's, quote unquote, learning to read. I love that I can homeschool our kids and I can see that gradual change when she goes from reading six words to now she's up to 12 words that she can read. Actually, more than that. She's probably up to like 20 now, right? She's working on some sight words and it is so cool to see that tiny change. It is so awesome to be able to spend the time in homeschool and see what our son learns week to week because he's way ahead of where he should be on certain things. And he surprises me all the time that he'll work on an activity. And then a few days later, it's like, wow, you learned that better than I thought you did. There's a lot of times where I come home and he drops a piece of information on me. I'm like, where did you find that out? Yeah, and we just brush off. We're like, oh, yeah, we did that during school today. And that's actually kind of a really good point is that you will, you will, I think a lot of you listening that are homesteaders probably already know this, but there are, there are, there seems to be a correlation between homesteading and probably homeschooling your kids. A lot of people do that. And I think that most homesteaders I've come across really do share this sentiment of it's better for the family to be together than not. Um, And I think that that is something that this, uh, I'm going to call this my, my new farm career in particular, there is no job on this planet that you could hire me for that would provide me that same benefit of the job. It's the slowing down and going back to the olden days where the yep. family was together all day long. They worked together side by side. You work together. To take care of the family. You work together. You eat together. You play together. You enjoy it together. Yeah. Um, and speaking of job benefits right? Um, We were talking about it. Just for those of you who are sitting there wondering like, oh yeah, great, I'm going to sell eggs. How much money can I actually make 
off the farm. We are obviously not there yet. We've only been on our farm for a year. That doesn't mean that we're not dreaming big, right? That doesn't mean that we're not just dreaming, but we're also planning some big things. You're going to hear interviews from people who are making five, if not close to six figures or more off of their farms. It is completely possible. It is a buttload of work, but it is possible. We have recently been kind of finally putting it on paper that we've had, you know, a bunch of ideas of we want to try this and that and that and do this. And these are going to be our, you know, five micro revenue streams or whatever for getting started on our farm. We finally have put it to paper. We've done the hard calculations of expenses, expected revenues, sales numbers, the really kind of nitty gritty. And we are expecting that for the 2022 calendar, fiscal year, whatever you want to call it, we are expecting our profit if we bust our butts and if all of this work and if the planets align perhaps and if we have some Hail Marys, I don't know, but we are expecting a profit of somewhere in the neighborhood of forty dollars to $50,000, which is not a lot, right? Which if we reinvest into the business and we don't put much of that in our own pocket, Maybe that's not going to make a huge difference in, you know, how fast I get my mortgage paid down or something because I'm going to instead reinvest it into fencing or a new barn or new equipment or whatever. But here's what I want to say about that. I think Eric's got his own thoughts. My thoughts on that are that one, I'm going to be really tired come 2023 (laughs) if this is how 22 works out. But more importantly is that I am a stay-at-home mom now turned work at home mom, obviously. But that's more than I was making when I left the workforce to be a stay at home mom. But it's going to be way less hours of work per week. Yes, it's still going to be a lot of work. It honestly might be more hours of work. But from what I can tell, it's not going to feel like it as much. Because it's work that we're going to truly enjoy doing. Because for example, I would be growing a garden whether I got paid for it or not. So if we're planning on growing some pumpkins to sell, right, or other garden products to sell, then that's still something I would do just because I want to. I'm still going to have chickens for my family even if I decide not to sell eggs, right? I'm still going to raise meat from various animals even if I don't sell it, I still want to raise it for my family. So I'm still doing all of this because I just genuinely love it. Because that's what I want to spend my days doing. Why not get paid for it? it right? We're running a business, but at the same time, it it's really like a hobby. It feels like you're just, yeah, it's a hobby. It feels like you're just running your life. And I think that's that's a great takeaway statement of it feels like we're just running our lives. We have the say, I, well, him not so much because he works, but I have a say in I'm going to do my farm chores before my kids get up, or maybe we're going to wait today and we're going to do the farm chores after breakfast, you know, depending on what they are. Obviously, some can't wait, but certain farm chores can wait, and I can do my job with my kids. I get to take my dogs to work every day, guys. That's awesome. I definitely don't get to take the dogs with me (laughs) to work. 
I don't think that would go over too You know well. how many people out there would be so jealous when they really sit down and think about it? Like, oh, man, you get to take your dog to work? Because it's great. It is. It is so great. Oh, and I get to work outside. And in the winter and snow, maybe that's going to suck. But I'll still take it because I would still be doing it whether I got paid or not. So now I'm doing something, right? Go back to that thought of what would you do if I replaced your salary and you could go do anything you wanted. A lot of people would probably be like, I don't know, sit around and watch Netflix, read a bunch of books. I would read a bunch of books. That would be my jam. I would totally be a book reviewer just because it would be an excuse to read more. But that aside, if I couldn't review books, then I would totally be out there doing this farm, even just for us, just for fun, just for the hobby of it, just for the ability to grow our own food, to can stuff, to, you know, kind of have this self-sufficient, self-propelled life. I mean, you get to go out there and scratch a goat's head and make it happy. And sometimes while you're carrying a bag of chicken feet on your shoulder, the chicken's going to jump on your shoulder and ride on the bag. And it's just... Oh, you don't know anything about that. I don't know about it. It's not fair. Because I'm always Yeah, but you've seen enough pictures. You know, I got four of them on my head the other day. (laughs) I had four chickens jump on my head because I didn't bring out the feed bag fast enough. They were hungry. I had one jump in my hair the other day when I walked out of the barn without feet in my hand, and I think they were trying to push me back in. I think so. Oh, shit. But the point is that, yes, that's a ton of work for us to get to dollars $50,000 a year. But if I'm going to do that and make more money than when I left the workforce... Right, which honestly, especially after being out of the workforce for six years, I probably couldn't go back to work for that kind of salary. Not unless I was willing to work like 60 hours a week, which I'm not. Unless it's doing this kind of work because it doesn't feel like work, right? But I'm going to go back to work making a lot more money than when I left the workforce. So talk about a huge pay jump, right? I'm working more like part-time hours. I can set my own schedule 100,000%. I can do it with my kids. I can do it around my kids. I can do it in my pajamas. I can do it without showering. Right? Here's a really cool idea. I don't have to go spend extra money to buy a wardrobe that's business casual or the right color scrubs or whatever. Right? I could literally go to the thrift store and buy somebody's discounted jeans because I know I'm just going to get them covered in animal shit anyway. Right? Isn't that a cool thought, though, that you don't have to spend money to further somebody else's business? You ever thought about your uh, your work wardrobe from that angle before? They That's hire why it's you. nice so they get all the free shirts. Yeah, well, you're weird. But, right? Have you ever thought about that, though? That, like, some jobs when they say you must wear this certain dress code or, like, this, like, nurses might have to go buy this color scrub... And not every, you know, hospitals might provide them or something, but not every smaller doctor's office provides them or whatever. And so now you actually, in order to work this job, to push somebody else's business ahead and make them more money, you have to spend your money to further their business. You ever thought about that? Wouldn't you rather spend the money to further your own business? Absolutely. I would. Right? And that's, I don't know, 
That's always been something that's bugged me. I'm just a very base level. And this is, this is kind of this whole mindset that's been shifting for us is this idea that when you work a nine to five, yes, you get a paycheck. Yes, maybe if you want to, you know, manage your money right, you get to buy a bigger car or a nicer house or whatever it is that you want it, you know, a 4,000 inch TV, I don't care. There still, at the end of the day, is the fact that you go work that job to make somebody else more money, right? The goal of every business is to make more revenue this year than we did last year goal of every business is to grow year over year. Your job might pay you a little bit more, but if you get a 1% raise every year and the company had 5% growth year after year, they did not share that wealth evenly across the company. Even if they do give you 5% and they gained 5%, those 5% aren't equal because your 5% on top of your pay is a lot smaller than a 5% growth on the company's total business. Right. Because of profits and revenues and the differences there and all that kind of stuff and how taxes change. And when they make a certain amount of money, they get into different tax brackets and it's a whole different complex game. But at the end of the day, your job is still to make somebody else more money. And I got to be honest, (laughs) I left my job to stay home and raise my kids because I wanted to be the one who raised my kids. And when Eric first got sick, we talked about um, in the in the first episode that we put up, our story that we, we shared. Um, back then, we were talking about, you know, how scary it was to be on disability and the pay cut and everything. And it's like, man, can we afford this? Like, I just pushed out a baby four weeks ago. Do I need to go back to work right now? Like, how are we going to make this happen? And... Honestly, even then, I couldn't come up with something that I was willing to go do because that was, that's honestly been something that's been bugging me forever is that if I go back to work, I'm sacrificing my time with my kids to go make money for somebody else. And yeah, you know, if I need the money because it's a matter of us eating or not eating, you know, I'm not going to starve my kids. I'm going to go back to work. But we have been very blessed to not be in that situation, as you can tell because we're still here telling you about it, right? But why not work for yourself, right? Entrepreneurship, for some reason, is a really scary thing to most people. And I'm not going to discount that. Fear of failure is big for a lot of people. It is. And honestly, fear of, I'm going to call it red tape, and government is big for a lot of people. Because, like we've been talking about it, that one of our biggest hurdles... As much as we'd like both of us to be working from home, our biggest struggle is going to be health insurance because of the fact that he's had cancer, pre-existing condition, all that kind of crap. That that's going to be a whole separate road to navigate whenever we get to the point where, okay, we should probably start to look at this, right? We'll deal with that when it comes. But for the average person, the average family, you're probably not going to have multiple episodes of cancer looming up in the way to kind of convince you to stay in your job. There are healthcare options. You can do a retirement account without having to have a corporate job. You're going to lose the company match, but 
If you uh, potentially well, your, your your own match when you're making more money could be a lot saying. higher than the company matches. If you can make your own business and you potentially are keeping more in your pocket because you know it's just they don't pay you twenty dollars an hour because that's all they can pay you. They pay you twenty dollars an hour because that's as much as you were willing to settle for. You know, you and didn't push harder. How do you know they wouldn't pay you twenty three dollars an hour? I don't know. But really, what other truly work-from-home, self-made careers are out there? I mean, yeah, you could be a piano teacher and work from home and make a decent income if you corner the market on being like a private music instructor. But you know you're going to, like, just think about that job and go into this knowing that you are not going to do a lot of lessons during the school day. Or... You're going to get a lot more lessons in the summer, and now your summers are super busy because that's when kids are home and parents need something where, oh, I just need to go drop my kids off for an hour, run some errands without my kids in my hair, and then I'll go pick them up, right? I don't know if lessons are an hour, but, you know, that's a good example of, yeah, you can do that, and you can make decent money if you have enough students, but you're going to be mostly working nights and weekends, right? And all you need is a, is a good room in your house and a, and a well-tuned piano, right? That's a, that's a very small startup cost. It's self-made based on your talent and your ability to teach, right? Real estate is another good example of a somewhat work from home job and they make a lot of good money, right? That's great. But because most of the world works nine to five, your hours are still at the mercy of someone else. My work hours are really just at the mercy of when the sun comes up and when the sun goes down. And it doesn't matter if I get my goats on a schedule of milking them at six in the morning or three in the afternoon, right? If I'm going to milk once a day or something. You just have to be on the schedule. I just have to pick what schedule is going to be and do it. It doesn't matter if I collect my eggs when the sun rises or before I go to bed. The chickens could already be in the coop and asleep and that's when I check every night. It doesn't matter. You can fit homesteading in and you can fit farming in and that career in around almost anything but the weather. And the great <laughs> thing about farming, too, is that typically both spouses can do it in a piano lesson type thing. Not always both people in the relationship are able to do it. So if you're not feeling well and you want to take a nap, I can't take care of it right? because I don't know piano. But in the case of a farm, I can take care of it. Right. And that's a that's a great example, too, that now you're making me think of, like, direct sales. You know? Think of all those Facebook parties. Oh, I'm having a fill-in-the-blank party. And come join it, and there's prizes, and help me earn hostess rewards. And everybody knows these things. And I have tried two direct sales things, and they are just very much not for me. But you're still working mostly nights and weekends because people can't do Facebook parties to buy books or makeup or Tupperware or whatever it might be when they work a nine to five job, they can't participate. And so you're going to pick evenings and weekends when people are most available. And that's one of the trends that I see with a lot of work from home jobs is that yes, there are things you can do throughout the course of the day, but most of your best efforts are concentrated around those nights and weekends. So when your kids get home from school and your spouse gets home from their job, 
guess what? You get to go be in the other room, be by yourself, work this job, put in the time with the customers or the product or the whatever it needs to be, you know, and it's just something to think about. That there are a lot of other options. And there are even some of these farm-based homemade money options that you're going to need to do. You know, if I'm going to make goat milk soap, I might prefer to do that when Eric's home so that he can watch the kids so that they're not in the way and at risk of getting hurt with the hot stuff. And, you know, that's fine. But I could also potentially figure out how to, like, I don't know, maybe do that while my kids do something else and I can we can work it out that... They know not to come touch whatever's hot, (laughs) you know? So it may be that I have to do it later because my kids won't listen. And it might be that I want to do it later because I just want that time to myself, right? I, it's totally, it's the most flexible thing I can think of. Well, and one of the differences in selling farm products as opposed to selling anything that you were discussing is that when you're selling something that you absolutely 100% believe in, it's really easy to sell it. Because you're willing to talk about it, you're excited about it, you have the faith in it. And in some of those direct sales jobs, you might have faith in it, but you might not know as much about it, and you might not believe it as much. Farming, you know what you're selling. You 100% know it. And if you don't, there's a problem with what you're doing. Your hands are on it every day. It should be an easy product for you to sell. That's a good point. Whatever you sell on your farm should be easy for you to sell. That's a great takeaway just from a marketing, like a farm marketing perspective. That is a great tip. That if you're not truly believing in what you're doing, it's not going to be as easy to sell. But most everybody who homesteads, homesteads because they believe that this is the right way to live. And this is the superior product to whatever the grocery store has. In my entire career of sales... Which has been, what, a decade now? A decade of sales. More than ev- that. Every sure. product that I have done the best selling is the stuff I've believed in the most. And I've known the best. And The it, things that you... I remember hearing about it. All the things you'd get excited about. And you're like, oh, this is the coolest. And you never stop talking about it. And I sell plumbing and HVAC supplies. So it's not that exciting to most people. But when you believe in something, it's very easy to sell it. Spent how many years working for that company and you still scope out sprinklers in stores and point them out to me? I don't point them out anymore. I can't wait until you work at home on the farm so that maybe someday you'll forget about plumbing enough to stop being like, Eric, why are you looking at the ceiling? Oh, I just wanted to, I just wondered what brand sprinkler system was. Total loser. Totally cannot wait for those days to be done. Well, I'm already pointing out tractors and barns every day. That's different. That's different. Three-year-old boys point out tractors and barns. So you're fine. You're just regressing. It's okay. It's not regressing if you never move forward. Fair enough. On that note... No, I'm kidding. But I'm not. But... No, the last, I think the last point we really wanted to bring up is that one of the things is, I think I mentioned this earlier, one of the things that has taken me like literally this whole year of living here to really wrap my head around is that I am not a homesteader. I am a farmer. 
and calling myself a farmer, I'm not an imposter. I'm actually a farmer because I am going into this with the intention of getting an income out of it. And I think that's a really key distinguishment to make because I think a lot of people call themselves homesteaders. (coughs) Sorry. I think a lot of people call themselves a homesteader and then mentally that hurdle of, I'm going to start selling some stuff. I want to make a little money off my, my homestead. That's kind of how they constantly phrase it of, we make a little money off of our homestead. Or Congratulations. We- You're actually technically a farm now. I mean, yeah, okay. Legal tax, you know, terminology, whatever. In my opinion, in commonly used terminology, a farm is an agricultural endeavor that generates a profit. The generate Actually, that generates revenue, not even a profit, but that generates revenue. Are you selling something from your farm or from your homestead? Then congratulations, you're a farm. I think society tends to typically paint the picture of the farmer. Think of a farm magazine ad. How is a farmer portrayed? Middle-aged man plaid shirt tucked into his jeans, perhaps ever so slightly out of shape, baseball cap or a cowboy hat, standing in front of a large piece of equipment like a tractor or a combine or something. Or in front of a field of corn. Or in front of thousands of acres of something like corn, yeah, or wheat, standing amidst a bunch of cows or in a dairy barn, right? It always tends to be Men, massive scale, stereotypically plaid and a a cowboy hat, right? If you look like that, props. I wished I looked like that, except I don't want to look like a man. But otherwise, I'm all about plaid. I'm all about a good cowboy hat. I wish I had room for a thousand acres of corn and 400 cows around me. I would love that. Unfortunately, I don't, right? But that is not the definition of a farmer, even if that's what the marketing companies want you to think. I think you're going to kind of get this idea across most, if not all, of these episodes that the mental block of am I farming, can I farm, can I make money off of this, really hinges on, one, the government and the way that they have really pushed us towards, you know, mega farms, commercial agriculture, right? Factory farming that everybody is really getting a little more aware of lately. It's also dictated by the marketing companies, right? It's also dictated by banks, which are private companies that choose whether or not they want to support your request for a loan, whether you're a massive large farm or whether you're a small farm, right? So the government, the banks, and the marketing companies are the ones who make us believe that we have to have hundreds of acres and huge equipment, and that's what it takes to kind of get started and get up and running and get to where you can be a farm, but you're still going to be a poor farmer in the stereotypical American opinion, right? Because farmers are always dirty. Farmers are poor people. Farming is for poor people, right? Don't let those stereotypes get you. 
Farming is not for poor people. I like to think that farming is for cool people. Because how cool is it? I know, it's a total, total cheesy, stupid I, I, thing I've to say. I've got my palm on my forehead right now. <laughs> yeah, I know you do. Yeah, mine just lives there, though, with everything that comes out of your mouth, so shut up. Farming is for cool people. Because it's the cool kids that are, you know, out there doing what they're doing because... Right? They They're don't care what, what they love. They don't care what other people think. It doesn't matter what everybody thinks you should be and what you should be doing. It doesn't matter what people think a farmer should look like or what a farmer should sell or what a farmer should do every day. What matters is that if you want to sell flowers and that's your farm is a flower farm, props, do it. If you only want to sell a few extra dozen eggs a week, you're probably not going to pay your mortgage much with that. But props, you're a farmer. Go do it. Enjoy. Ultimately, do what makes you happy. Right. Do what you love. Enjoy your life. And that's what shifts you from surviving now to thriving. Because if doing what you love, if your homestead... This lifestyle is what you love the most. Do more of it. If you can find a way to get paid to do it, I promise you, you won't even feel like you're working. Right? We've said it in other episodes. We're going to say it again. The old saying, do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. It is true. I cannot tell you how much work it has been for me for the past year trying to get our farm growing slowly but surely, homeschooling our kids, attempting to turn this uh, log cabin into a, a comfortable-ish home for us for now. Taking care of me taking after my care hip of replacement. You, taking care of you through the relapse when you first moved in and then recovering from treatment. And then, yes, your hip got bad and had to get replaced and all of that kind of stuff. It's been one hell of a year and I cannot even begin to put to words how much of the work has been on me only. Yes, I've had my days where I've complained. Yes, we've had a lot of days where this past year has been heavily survival mode. But I gotta be honest, we've also never been working towards thriving more than we have in the past year. We have never accelerated our happiness as much as we have in the past year. So, big takeaways. Give it a critical look. Think really hard about it. Why are you working a job? Why do you homestead? And why are you not making money or making more money from your farm? Because some of it is going to be time limits, health limits, physical limits, yes. But some of it might just be a mental block. Some of it might just be a mindset of not feeling like you're allowed to make a full-time income, right? Is, is Is there a possibility that you've got some mental block that, oh, I don't have enough land, or I don't have enough time, or... You know, oh, I must be I must be selling stuff for too much if I can actually make a full-time income off of this, right? Off of, off of whatever acreage you have. 
And that's exactly why we wanted to do this podcast and bring on all these interviewees to discuss different opportunities for you to do on your farm. All these people share our passion for making money off of their land. And, you know, we can talk to you as long as we want on these recordings. And if you listen to it, yes, you'll hear that we're pretty damn excited about these ideas and about making, you know, potentially a full-time income off of our farm. I don't know anybody who wouldn't think that's exciting, right? But I can't tell you why one person chose that idea over another, and I can't tell you why that fits their farm better than a different idea. And the value of hearing all these other people who are getting into that thriving stage, you can't get that from one person. But the more of these stories you hear, the more excited you're going to get. I hope the more you're going to earn. So follow along. Follow us on Instagram so you can see whenever we post new episodes. Subs- I don't know, subscribe through whatever app you're listening to. You know, but if you want to make a reasonable income off of your farm, whether that's growing from zero or growing from where you are now we're here to help you make that happen so listen learn all of the interviews you're going to start hearing as of next week um find those people who whatever ideas that sound the most interesting to you follow them learn from them reach out to them obviously we've reached out like we know these people they're great Every single one of them would love to help you learn more. Take this as your push. Today is the day you start changing your life. 